it. And so we, we praise the Lord for the opportunity, the health, uh, to be able to do things like that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, referring to Christ, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly. But then, when Christ comes face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. I want to preach a message this morning on the subject of charity, the missing ingredient. And none of us have ever fulfilled this chapter perfectly. So let's, let's admit that at the outset, but as I said, uh, we need to take a bath in this chapter this morning. It's a good thing to take a bath every day, isn't it? I know my wife appreciates it when I bathe myself every day, and we need to be bathed in the Word of God this morning in this chapter. What an important chapter. It's a mountain peak in the Scriptures. Uh, None of us will ever reach the peak of this mountain in this lifetime. Because the only man who ever fulfilled these things perfectly was the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, this morning for this church, for the bond of Christian love. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the opportunity, as I've said, the the life that we have, the health that we have, uh, and the time, the, the short opportunity that we have to do good to be rich in good works and uh, to be a witness to the lost and, and to uh, love one another. And Father, I pray that you'd protect this fellowship, Lord. Uh, I pray that this morning that, Lord, that we would receive a cleansing. Uh, your word says, now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd clean us this morning. Help us, Lord, to be submissive to your word. And, Lord, just take a fine-tooth comb and run it through our hearts. And show us, Lord, where these things apply to us. And, Lord, help us to humbly submit ourselves under the word of God, under the mighty hand of God this morning. And, Lord, bless our fellowship. Knit our hearts together. And we ask this, Lord, now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is called the love chapter of the Bible. 
and it's often used in marital counseling. I use it when I'm doing premarital counseling, and that's not wrong, but it's not really the purpose of the chapter. It's not what it was originally written for. Uh, it was written in the context to deal with relationships within the local church, so relationships within the fellowship of believers. You can see that as you look up at chapter 12 and verse 25. Paul said here that there should be no schism or schism in the body. That's no division in the believers. But that the members should have the same care one for another. That's one of those great one another verses in the Bible. That we should care one for another. And then if you just go ahead and keep reading, you just scan down through there, he's talking about the spiritual gifts that we have in the body. Uh, talks about suffering and honoring one another and all that stuff, rejoicing one with another. But all these gifts that we have and our ministry to one another, our care for one another within the body, all those things are covered there. And since Paul had been dealing with spiritual gifts, he says down in verse 31, he says, but covet earnestly the best gifts, the best gifts that there are to have, which would be at the top of that list of gifts. But he says, yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And that's the way of love. And the very best gift, the pinnacle, the peak, the height, uh, the highest gift is charity. Faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these, Paul says, is charity. So Paul now is saying, so that you can have the care that you ought to have for one another, I need to speak to you about the subject of charity as it relates to your giftedness, as it relates to your service, and as it relates to your fellowship. And that's what he deals with in chapter 13. So it's not really premarital counseling or marital love. It's the relationships within the local church. You know, charity is the glue that holds us together. It's like the Elmer's glue. It's like the cement that keeps us together. Uh, it's like in some, uh, some uh, uh, recipes, you need to put eggs in there, you know, to hold the thing together, like a meatloaf or a casserole or one thing or another, or in a cake. It's, it's what keeps us together as believers and today, it's clearly missing in churches all over America. And it's missing in this fellowship, within the relationships that are in this church. Charity is a word that has changed in meaning since the King James translators used it here. Uh, we think of it today as like a handout. You know, I'm not a charity case. I don't need your handouts. That how, that's how we think of the word today. That's not how they understood it back when it was used here. The meaning is a love that gives. It's a benevolent love. That's the old-fashioned word, benevolent love. And that's simply meaning like a, an outgoing, outflowing, giving love. Love, the way that we use that word today, is not accurate with what you find here in this chapter. When we use the word love today, we use it as an emotion, oftentimes as a romantic uh, type of a notion. 
Uh, and love can be used in ways that are perverted. I love him and I love her and nobody's going to tell me that, you know, that I'm wrong. It's my love and that tells me it's right. People love all kinds of things. They love animals. They love objects. That's not the way that the word is used here, so I like the word charity. It means a love that gives. Love, as we use it today, is an emotion, and what is here is an action. That's the difference. It's not a feeling. It's an action. It does something. It's Christ's love is what it is. Charity is Christ's love, and it's very different from the world's love. It's something that we don't already possess. It's something that has to be worked through us as we allow uh, God to demonstrate his love through us to each other with, within the church. So, you know, today you hear so much about self-care. You hear a lot about that. Oh, this is just my self-care. This is me time. I just need some me time. I need to, you know, I need to take care of myself. And that kind of self-centered living is completely opposite of what the Bible teaches that a Christian should do. A Christian should be filled with charity as it's described in this, in this chapter. And the fellowship of believers should be marked by, if it's marked by anything, it should be marked by charity. If it's not, Paul says we're nothing. We're nothing. So the church at Corinth, this church had many, many problems, but... Paul would tell them it all came down to one root problem. Whatever the fruit was, the bad fruit that was being produced, Paul could say it all comes down to what's at the root of the thing. And at the root, you're not right, right there at the foundation, at the root. He said what you need there at the, at the very foundation, you can trace all these problems back to an absence of charity. That's the missing ingredient in their fellowship. So I have just three simple headings. What you have in verses 1 and 2 is you have spiritual gifts without charity. Spiritual gifts, but charity is missing. And then in verse 3, you have sacrifice and service. And really, uh, it's saying a similar thing to verses 1 and 2, but the difference is, is between the gifts and the service, the sacrifice and service without charity in verse 3. Then my third point today is that it profits me nothing, though I have gifts, speaking gifts or otherwise, and though I give all away, away all my goods and, and so on, it profits me nothing as far as God sees it. We can go around patting each other on the backs, praising one another, but as far as God sees it, if you don't have charity... It's nothing. You have nothing, he says. That's the way God sees it. And so let's get into this in verse 1 and just kind of walk through these verses together. He says here, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So Paul here is referring to the tongues of men, and that's a spiritual gift. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, you people in Corinth, you brag about your ability to be able to talk in tongues, which were known languages, okay? It wasn't just gibberish. It was a known language. And Paul said, though you can speak with the tongues of men and you have this spiritual gift, it's not enough. That's, that's a sign gift in the Bible. The sign gifts were for the Jews. 
And they were in operation during the ministries of the apostles and of the prophets. And uh, you had sign gifts, and then you had the revelatory gifts that he's going to talk about there in verse 2. Verse 2 is a good verse for preachers and for teachers and, and Sunday school teachers and so on. But you had revelatory gifts where a, where a person could be a prophet, man or woman, and could receive divine-inspired revelation from God and speak it to the congregation and even predict things during the ministries of the apostles and prophets. Now the sign gifts and the revelatory gifts, those things were phased out after the completion of the foundation of the church, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And once the Jews were rejected by God the third time in the book of Acts, you'll find that they're phased out. We're studying the book of Acts Sunday nights, and you'd be learning about that. If you'll be there with us, you can learn about that. Three times, Paul says, I turn to the Gentiles. So God was giving the Jews opportunity after opportunity and using the sign gifts because the Jews require a sign. But once God turned away from the Jews and turned to the Gentiles, those things ceased. Tongues, though, were considered by the Corinthians to be the very, very best gift. And Paul said, no, it's at the bottom. It's not the best gift. And Paul said, in fact, love, that's the best gift. And uh, the Corinthians were most impressed with this, I, can, I can say things miraculously with my tongue, whether it be, whether it be uh, another language that I never learned, or whether it be a prophecy. I can say things, look at me, everybody look at me, I'm talking, listen to what I'm saying, I'm a mouthpiece for God. They think that's the most impressive. Paul said, God thinks that charity is the most impressive. And you guys are lacking it. This was an indictment against them. And he wasn't saying it to hurt them. He was, he was reproving them. And Paul told Timothy that's part of the preacher's job is to rebuke, reprove, exhort, you know, with all long-suffering, to instruction in righteousness. A rebuke is a hard correction. A reproof is a soft correction. And Paul is softly correcting them, but he's, he's putting it in such a way that they're not going to mistake what he's saying. And he's saying you, you have a missing ingredient that God says is the most important. Even if you speak with the tongues of angels... It's not really possible, but even if you could. So Paul uses an extreme example just to make his point that that wouldn't be enough. You would still fall short of what God wants you to be as a church. And then he says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now, Charity, again, is, is a love that reflects Christ's love. It's a giving love. And he said, if you don't have that, your worship, all your tongues, all your prophesying, all your teaching about mysteries and all that, and all your public mis ministry, he said, it's all just noise. It's just sounding brass. It's a tinkling cymbal. He means it's loud. It's noisy, and the language that's used here is that it's, it's, it's very loud and irritating. Again, it's irritating to God, because we think it's impressive. The Corinthians, they thought it's impressive. Oh, look, brother so-and-so is speaking in tongues now. Sister so-and-so is speaking in tongues. Oh, look, brother so-and-so is going to be teaching tonight. I can't wait to hear what he has to say about the mysteries. Oh, did you hear that so-and-so had a prophecy, and they're predicting that this is going to happen, and and that's what they were really impressed with. And God says, to me, it just sounds like noise. 
And, and, and people who get up and they like to be real loud and real noisy and real boisterous and real showy and stuff, which, hey, I think it's okay if that's really your personality. Uh, you know, God knows your heart. But uh, not everybody's like that. But he said, that's, that's what it sounds like to me. And he's speaking through his inspired prophet saying it's just sounding brass, a tinkling cymbal. It's not musical. It's not pleasant. It's irritating. You know, we ought to be careful with what we do when we open up our mouths, when we use our mouths. Because if we're not using charity, and if we're just shooting words out from our tongue, God says it's irritating to me. When uh, some women and some men open up their mouths, they say things that are harsh. They say things that are belittling. They say things that are mean-spirited. Some people wait till you have a whole group of people together so that they can belittle somebody in front of the family. They might wait till a family gathering, a sports game, or a birthday party, or whatever, and wait for that opportunity to tear somebody down in the presence of everyone else. Some people do that when they get a group of kids together, and they'll belittle one of the kids in front of the others. Some people do that in church. I, I've known pastors who get up in front of a congregation and because they have everybody there will preach against one person. And, and, and that, that's what their message is about, that one person. <laughs> and use that as an opportunity to attack them publicly. But most people don't know it, but that person does. And the people that are in, in the know of that situation, they do. I've known preachers to stand up and just thrash their congregation and call out names in front of everybody. God says, that's noise. That's irritating. That's not musical. That's harsh. And so he says, uh, these things that you think are the most impressive, God says, it's no good if it's not done with charity, with the highest gift of outflowing love. To one another. God says, listen, don't tell me about how nice you are out in public. What I'm interested in is how do you treat one another? How do you care for one another within the fellowship of believers? That's what God's looking for. That's what God wants to be pleased with. That's what's music to God's ears. You want to know what music to God's ears is like? Well, it's not the latest songs on the river or on K-Love. Music to God's ears is charity among believers. That's music to God's ears. He says, Oh, I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity. I'm just making noise. You know, even though that gift is not in operation today, the gift of tongues, what's in your heart when you speak to other believers? You know, I have to ask myself this question as a preacher. What's in my heart when I speak to other believers? Because I'm the one speaking the most. And I'm the one who have the greater condemnation because I have the speaking gift of teaching and exhortation. But uh, what's in your heart when you speak to the lost? Do you speak to the lost? I'll tell you this, you won't speak to the lost unless you have a heart of love, unless you have a deep compassion and concern for the lost, unless you have this this affection in your heart 
that comes from God's Spirit for lost sinners, and you have a concern for them because you know they're going to spend eternity in hell, and I don't mean purgatory, if they don't come to Christ and receive Christ by faith, you know where they're going to go. You know they're going to be punished for their sins. We won't speak with the lost if we don't have any compassion, any feeling in our hearts for them. You know, if we have tender affection towards somebody, we speak to them for their good, don't we? Not, not for their harm. It ought to be a deepening love that we have for one another in the fellowship that holds us together and would cause us to be careful over our tongue. I, I dare say that you won't have affection for one another if you don't spend any time praying for each other. I don't think that you will. I think if you don't have any affection for one another and if you're not praying for one another, I think that leads to a great amount of sin. If you don't have affection in your heart for the believers in this room right here, it will lead to multiplied sin in your life. What's the absence of affection? You know, and, and if you're not praying for one another, how can you possibly operate and function in the spiritual realm without prayer? It'll lead to irritation. It'll lead to aggravation, noise in the ears of God if we don't have this within our congregation. Yes, we don't have the gift of tongues, but we have other spiritual gifts that we use with one another, do we not? That we're supposed to use to minister to one another. Verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries. Now Paul deals with those who have speaking gifts that are no longer in use today, this prophecy. These believers could speak for God. And surely that was important. I mean, to be a mouthpiece for God. But he says, even if you have the gift of prophecy and you don't have charity, look at the end of verse 2. I am nothing. I am nothing. So, brother, sister, today, if you realize that your heart is cold toward believers, that you're, you're not praying for each other, that you're harsh and critical, your life is not marked by the things that are described in verse 4 and 5, you know, patience, kindness, you know, uh, all those things. If your life is not marked by that within the fellowship of believers, you should say to yourself, I am nothing without this. God is not pleased with my use of my gifts within the congregation. Very serious, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, it doesn't matter how many people you have in a church. If you have a hundred people, if you have an average size, medium-sized church of 300 people, if you have a large church of five or 700 people and you don't have charity, I am nothing. I'm nothing. And I don't think that God could bless a church, do you? Or, you know, bless our, our, uh, our gifts and the use of our gifts within the congregation or our sacrifice or our service. I don't think he could bless it unless he saw what he was looking for, the charity. So even if I have the gift of prophecy, and even if I understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, you know, we can become very puffed up. Knowledge puffeth up, the Bible says. If we have 
the understanding of the mysteries. There's seven major mysteries that pastors are charged with to make sure that they're taught and carried on from generation to generation. And we study those things, especially on Wednesday night. We study the end times and so on and study in prophecy. And you can get kind of puffed up in your knowledge. You can start to think, I'm right and everybody's wrong. And uh, I'll, I'll straighten everybody out and get to a point to where you're just arguing with everybody about the thing. And, and Paul says, even if you understand all mysteries, which is not possible, again, he's arguing from the extreme and you have all knowledge not possible in this life uh, but even if you could say that you did have that and you don't have charity you're nothing I heard a missionary say um, uh, he was he was speaking to the class that I teach on Tuesdays and he's from a church in Jacksonville Florida and I tell you if you want to be humbled listen to what this church in Jacksonville Florida is doing just an average church they might have 300 people there. And this church of 300 people, they heard a sermon preached by the pastor years ago about go ye into all the world. And he said, he said we think it's, it's missions if we just give our money and send support checks and read prayer letters. We think that that's missions and we're involved in missions. And he went on to say that's, that's not it. That's not all of it. That's some of it, but that's not all of it. And he talked about, you know, being missionaries in our own zip code and so on. But he said this. He said, this is a, a, a command given to a church. It was the church in Jerusalem that that command was given to. And he said, this command is given to a church. Therefore, if it was given to that church, it's given to our church. So where are our missionaries leaving our church going into all the world? And so what they started to do is they started to send their own people on missions trips not missions vacations, but missions trips, going for two or three weeks at a time. But to do that, they would go to places like Nigeria, very dangerous, filled with Muslims, especially toward the north. They would go to places like that, and to do that, you're talking about eight, nine hundred, maybe $1,000 a pop for a plane ticket. Well, the, the persons in the congregation that were able to go uh, couldn't necessarily afford that. So what the older people in the congregation did is they said, we will raise the money so that people who can go can go free of charge. And so they raised money. They would do things like sell honey. Some of them raised bees, and so they would sell the honey from the bees. And all of their proceeds would go toward buying plane tickets for the people that were going to go and go and preach the gospel. They weren't just going there to do little uh, things to humanitarian aid. They weren't doing that. They were going and preaching the gospel, what we're actually supposed to do and make disciples. And so... They would do that, and then some lady said, well, I'll come to the church on Saturday, and I will cut hair, and anything that you want to give me for your haircut will go 100% into that fund to send our missionaries out, which really they were just missionary helpers, but that's okay. And, and so uh, another guy says, well, I, I work on cars, so one day a week uh, on Saturday I'm going to take that my day off, and I'm going to just work on cars for the people in the church. If you come, I will work on your car, and all of the proceeds, whatever you want to pay me, will go towards plane tickets. And they've sent over 90 of their people on missions trips in, uh, for over 10 years. Over 90. They've seen thousands of people come to Christ. They would, they'd go to Nigeria. They would go into the schools. And they would preach the gospel. In, in, in Nigeria, you don't even have to uh, tell them you're coming. You just show up. And because you're America, they'll let you into the, their schools. They'll let you preach the gospel to everybody. And uh, they'll let you pass out Bibles. Boy, I wish America was like that. It is. There's ways to do it. There's loopholes. 
But they'll let you pass out Bibles. And then in the evenings, they show the Jesus film. You ever heard of that? And after the Jesus film, they'll give an invitation. And uh, they'll, they'll see just, they've seen thousands of people come to Christ. One little church in Jacksonville, Florida. But you know what? I don't think you can do something like that unless you got this ingredient called charity. You'd have to have a, an affection, a love for Christians the man who gave the, uh, the, he was just an associate pastor. He wasn't an evangelist or, or a missionary. He was an associate pastor in his church. And he goes on like three missions trips a year. And he preaches the gospel. He's a fantastic preacher. And he said, I was in uh, somewhere, I forget where he's saying, Cambodia or something like that. And they were like, how did you get the money to get here? How can you afford these plane tickets? And he rolls up his sleeve and he, he shows him a hole in his arm. He says, I don't do drugs. He said, I donate plasma. Now that's love, to donate his plasma. And he said, I got here on my own blood, paid for it with my blood. Literally paid for a plane ticket with plasma. <laughs> Incredible. That's charity, folks. Now it's not wise to compare yourselves with others. The Bible says that's not wise. They that uh, compare themselves among themselves are not wise. I'm not trying to say that we should compare ourselves. What I'm saying is this. You don't do something like that unless you love one another. Raise money so that these 20-somethings and 30-somethings can go to the mission field. and Then all along the way, the church is just caring for them, but they don't let the churches take care of them. They're not there to be a burden. They've raised all their money to take care of their travel and their food and everything. That's love. Somebody says it takes money to make the gospel go, but you know what? It takes charity first. God will provide the money. It takes charity to make the gospel go. So he says, so I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. You know what? A lot of American preachers are good at studying this book and getting seminary educations, and getting PhDs, getting, getting education that people in Nigeria, and Cambodia, and Mexico, and different places like that, they can't get this education. They can't get to the schools. They can't afford it. They don't have the time for it. A lot of those churches that he was telling us that, that they go to, the pastor would be the only one that would have a Bible, and it would be chewed up and tore up. No one in the church had Bibles. So that's something that they do. They pass out Bibles to people but he says this, I'd rather have a Filipino that knows John 3.16 and has a fire lit under his heels and wants to do something for God. He said, I'd rather have that Filipino that doesn't have a PhD or a seminary education. I'd rather have him and work with him than he said than I would with a lot of American preachers because he said American preachers just kind of stand off to the side and they just kind of look good and they, got, and they know a lot. And they can sound impressive and sound educated, but he said they're just over there doing this, just standing there doing nothing. I got to tell you, I, I, I felt under conviction listening to that because it's true. Americans, we look good. We look good, but I tell you, we look good on the outside. We have a lot of knowledge, but what are you doing with it? I'm going to have a, 
I'm going to start a door-to-door visitation program again. And last time I did that, no one came out. Now I'm going to do it again. I'm going to see who wants to go on visitation. And if you pray and say, Lord, I don't have any affection in my heart. I don't have enough love in my heart to go after the lost. It scares me to death. Well, perfect love casteth out all fear. If you pray and say, Lord, give me soul winner's tears. Give me a burden for the lost. Help me to have this kind of outgoing love, this love that works, this charity for the lost. Help me to have that, and, and uh, we'll see. We'll see who comes to visitation. You say, you're laying it on pretty thick, preacher. Well, I'm preaching to myself too. He says, though I have all these gifts and know all these things, boy, we're just, we're just bloated with Bible knowledge. We just have biblical uh, acid reflux. We have so much Bible, just more Bible, more Bible. I'm not getting fed. I'm leaving this church and going somewhere else. I'm not getting fed. Why don't you take what you have and go use it to make disciples? <laughs> Lead somebody to Christ and teach them the Bible in a home Bible study. There you go. You say, what would I have to have to do that, charity? Charity. And he says, even though I have faith that I could remove all mountains, in verse 2. I have faith. You know, that's this kind of spontaneous, powerful faith that the apostles had, that all of a sudden they would just have a surge of faith and then produce a miracle that would just, to the people that are watching them, would give credit to what they were preaching about, the resurrected Savior. And when they saw that, they would say, this this uh, gives us, uh, you know, this, this demonstrable proof, this miraculous proof that the resurrection is, is true. And so even if you had that kind of faith, even if you could move mountains, and by faith we do things, the Bible said. So even if you could go on and on and on and give it a long account of all the things that you've done by faith, it's possible to do that and still not have charity. Pretty strong words. He says, even if you do that, I am nothing. Well, by faith, I started this ministry. And by faith, I've been coming to church for 20, 30 years. And I've never missed a Sunday. And by faith, I do this. And by faith, I've, I've done that, that. Well, if you don't have charity, it's nothing. So we need... Uh, we need a love for one another. We need a love for, for souls. We need a devotional love for the Word of God. Not just saying that, well, I know this, and I can split theological hairs, and I know all the dispensations, and I know when they begin, and I know when they end, and, and all that stuff. Rather than saying that, a devotional love for the Word of God, that when I read this, it's a heart-to-heart connection between me and God, and a love for Christ. If you have those kinds of love, that's what we have to have. If we don't have it, we don't have anything. And our gifts and our knowledge, our mysteries, all of that is nothing. The way that God sees it, it's nothing. Well, secondly, just briefly, they had gifts without charity. They had sacrifice and service without charity. Notice in verse 3, Though I bestow all my goods, okay, that's a sacrifice, giving up all your goods, And you're doing it to help people out, to feed the poor. That's a good thing. But even if I do that, I give away everything that I have to feed the poor. And I don't have charity. And he says, even if I give my body to be burned, 
you could be a martyr just because you're stubborn. <laughs> you could be a martyr just because you say, I know I have the truth and I know it's right and I'm not budging and I'm not changing. And even if you try to burn me, I, I'm just so stubborn, I will not recant. Paul said, even if you could be a martyr, uh, you, you, you still, you're nothing if you don't have charity and it profits you nothing. So service and sacrifice, they had it, but they didn't have charity, and that's why he's bringing this up. You know, God forbid that we should do what we do for the wrong reason. In other words, Paul's talking about motivation here. He's saying, what is it that motivates you to sacrifice? What is it that motivates you to serve? Is it your own reputation? You want to be known? As having done this, you want the recognition? Is that your motivation? God forbid. God forbid. That's foreign to the New Testament. That's foreign to Christianity. Are you doing it just because you're stubborn? And just because you're going to get it done? If you said you're going to do it, you're going to do it? Well, God forbid. Don't do it for that reason. Be motivated by a love for your church, a love for souls, a love for Christ, a love for the truth. Be motivated by that. If you're not motivated by that, stop. Stop. Because it's nothing. God doesn't, God doesn't want it. <laughs> just stop. If you're just grumbling and griping as you're serving and doing things, it's because you don't have charity. Stop. I'll give you another example because I feel, like, uh, I feel like this is the most convicting to me. Um, and you can view this as weakness if you want. I don't care. But um, I've done things like just because uh, I wanted to do a good job. Like I wanted to preach a good sermon. I wanted people to be impressed with it. There was a time when I thought about it like that. And when people you know, didn't say anything about it, then I felt, you know, disappointed or whatever, or discouraged. Uh, There's a time where I wanted to say, yeah, I've been out winning souls, just so I could tell my brethren, been out winning souls. There was a time when I'd say, yeah, I've been out street preaching, just so I could make sure that I checked that box the next time I was fellowshipping with the brethren. Uh, I've done things like, you know, I've, I've read through my Bible, just so I could say, I read through my Bible. That's, that's wrong. All that's wrong. It's wrong to get up here and preach or to teach or to do anything, teach a Sunday school class, whatever. It's wrong to get up and do it to please men or to establish yourself and your reputation or, or build a ministry. It's wrong for all those reasons. The only right reason is, is charity. You know, uh, Dave Hunt, he had an unpopular warning ministry. I spoke about him in Sunday school. You ought to look him up on, on YouTube, Dave Hunt. He warns people about the errors within the Christian church. and he, he wrote a book, a real good book, called A Woman Rides the Beast. And he's talking about the apostasy in the last days. He's calling out churches, uh, not necessarily like our church, but churches within evangelicalism. He's calling them out for their apostasy. Apostasy means you fall away from the truth. And compromise. He's calling them out for compromise. And he's not a popular guy. People say you're just divisive. You're just ca causing trouble. And he'll stand there in the pulpit. And with a tear in his eye, he'll say, I'm doing this because I want people to be saved. 
I'm doing this because I don't want them to be deceived. I'm doing this as a service to the church to keep them from getting into bed with Rome or to going into ecumenism or getting into uh, cahoots with the World Council of Christian Churches or the National Council of Christian Churches. I'm doing this to teach Christians that we have to separate from error because ultimately if, if the church is compromised, then it's not preaching the gospel and people are deceived by religion, millions of them within Catholicism, Roman Catholicism, deceived by religion. And uh, hundreds of thousands of them deceived by baptismal regeneration in the church of Christ. And he calls them out, and with this warning ministry, he's not popular. But guess what? We're not called to be popular. We're called to tell the truth and to love people enough to tell them the truth. And... uh, David Cloud is another one, one that's more solid uh, than uh, Dave Hunt. I'd recommend David Cloud. But sacrifice and service without charity, it's nothing. Lastly, just my final point, as I've already said, this is as God sees it. We have to recognize that. This is as God sees it. This is his church. We belong to him. He says the most important thing, the most important gift is charity. You see, it's, it's not self-care that we should be concerned about. It's not uh, a focus on me and me time. It's a care for others. Like it said back in verse 25 of chapter 12, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. That's what God wants. If someone, listen, if, let me just kind of just apply it as we, as we close. If someone's done something to aggravate you in the church, in the whole scope of things, it's really small. It's a small matter. In the whole scope of things, God wants a church that is caring for one another with charity. Uh, We have a big job to do. That is to be a witness to this community. We have to be a lighthouse, and then we have to be a place that, that we can bring in new converts and disciple them and train them and teach them in the Word of God. We've got a big job. If someone has done something small to you to aggravate you, it's really, it's not that big of a deal. Especially if you think of your own unworthiness. You're unworthy to be here. I'm unworthy to be here. I'm not worthy to be counted as one of God's elect. I'm not worthy of all the grace and the mercy and the love and the tender compassion that God has shown. I'm not worthy of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. I'm not worthy of any of that. I'm not worthy of one drop of his blood. No, I'm not worthy of that. And I'm not worthy to be able to enjoy the fellowship of God's family. I'm not worthy of any of that. And you know, if someone has done something to you, let me just let me say this. I, I read something that a very spiritual woman wrote. And she said, when somebody comes to me and gossips about someone else, or when they come to me and they say something that is unkind, uh, they make an accusation about this person and it's news to me, she said, whenever they do that, I do this. I say to that person, you know what, let's go talk to them right now. But you know what? We don't have to do that, even though we just live in a little locality here. It's convenient enough just to be able to go and talk to the person, but we have, we have these. 
We have these. So if somebody comes to you gossiping about another person, saying, you know, they said this about you, or they did this, or um, this is how, you know, they've been acting. If they say that, you know, you should just pull this out and say, you know what, I got FaceTime. Let's just call them and, uh, you know, you're talking about that person. Why don't we let them defend themselves? And maybe you misunderstand it. Maybe you've heard this, you know, second, third time you've heard it down the chain. And maybe you're not getting the whole picture. Let's just call them and just so that they can speak for themselves. That would hush a lot of that nonsense that goes on. But we're too quick to say a harsh, critical word about somebody else in the church when they're not even there present. And we're too quick to tear down their reputation. And listen, listen, you're too quick to listen to it. If you're listening to it, you are just as guilty of that sin because you're listening to it. Well, I imagine that when the Corinthians heard this, uh, and we're going to get in next time, we're going to talk about the meaning of charity as we look at verses 4 and 5, 6, 7, and 8 down through there. We're going to talk about the meaning of, of charity, but today we're just talking about the missing ingredient. I imagine when Paul was talking about this that um, it was something that caused a lot of searching. These are searching words. Um, cause the people to really think about what they're doing. And you know, the writer of Hebrews, he said this in another place. He says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. When there's an absence of charity, and when people are using their words against each other and their actions to manipulate and to harm one another, and to... uh, to belittle one another and those kind of things. When that happens, that causes hurt feelings. Hurt feelings turns into bitterness. And, and the writer to the Hebrews says that bitterness springing up in the church will trouble you and it will defile many. So when we don't deal with it, if we allow that root of bitterness to spring up, guess what we'll do? We'll defile other people. 